My longtime friend Faith, a PT specialist in scoliosis, tells us about her training in manual therapies. We converse about the similarities and differences between neuromuscular skeletal medicine and PT manual therapies. We discover they are more similar than different and in fact are quite complementary to one another. So without further ado, here is Faith Ford. Faith, welcome to the Osteopathic Manipulative Medicine Podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for taking the time out of your Sunday evening to talk to us a little bit about your work as a physical therapist. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. So we've been wanting to have this conversation for a little while now, um, just trying to make this distinction between the manual therapies that I do as an osteopathic physician and the manual therapies that you all do in the physical therapy world. So I'm super looking forward to this conversation and I think it'll be really enlightening. I know for me, but also hopefully for the people that are listening to this. Well, before we jump into the topic, let's get to know you a little bit more as a person. I mean, we've been friends for what, six years now? Something like that. Kind of crazy. It's been that long. Yeah. Yeah. Time has been flying. You went to PT school, then I went to medical school and been keeping in touch for, yeah, six years now. But anyway, if you want to share with us a little bit about where you're from, a little bit about your family and some hobby outside of work as a physical therapist, that'd be great. Yeah. So I grew up in Jackson, Wyoming, and I moved to Bozeman, Montana, you go to MSU, Montana State University, where I did my undergrad, my master's, uh, before I went to Creighton in Omaha, Nebraska for PT school. Very cool. Love being outside and skiing and hiking. I also really enjoy I'm training for a team CrossFit competition this December, which has been a lot of fun to prepare for, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, very cool. And you just finished a CrossFit competition, like a 24-hour CrossFit competition, didn't you? Well, it was a, a fundraiser for some local nonprofits. Uh, our gym had 21 workouts in 24 hours. I did not complete all of them, but some of my um, other gym mates did, and they killed it. And we raised, I think, over $4,000 by the end of it, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you loving the outdoors, loving the hiking and the skiing. Bozeman is such a beautiful place to live if you love those things. Now, I don't Absolutely. want a ton of people to move there, but I am hoping to move back there. Then <laughs> um, don't tell them. I know. We shouldn't tell the world that Bozeman is the most beautiful place on the planet, but it is. It really is. So what, so recommendations would you have for our audience? That's something else that I really like to also um, ask the people that I interview about. Yeah, I think the one I'm most excited about is one I just started. It's been recommended to me a million times and been at the top of like my book list to read. Um, but the, the Body Keeps Score, uh, I've heard so many good things about how it's helped friends, um, other coworkers, patients, and just all the different things everyone's learned from it. So even though I'm not done with it yet, um, I would definitely recommend it from kind of 
how far I've gotten into it and everything that I've heard from everyone. So if it's been on your list, just go read it. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting that you mentioned that book because today, actually this morning, I finished that book for the third time. Oh, um, I feel like it's one of those books that you can't read once. It should. I mean, for me, it's going to be an every year read because I always I'm always gleaning new knowledge from it. And Dr. Vanderkirk dedicated his life to researching how trauma, not only physical, emotional, psychological trauma, how that affects us with regulating our emotions and how it um, affects us with our interactions with our family members and our friends and our future spouses. It is just a masterpiece of a book and an area that I feel like is so important for every everybody to read, but maybe more so for those of us who are working in the healthcare profession. It is I can't say enough about that book. So I really, I value and appreciate that you brought that up. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it and I, I couldn't agree with you more and you said it perfectly. So Faith, are you ready to jump into this topic about the manual therapies that you will do as physical therapists? Absolutely. So you trained at Creighton University. I I love Creighton University. It's very near and dear to me. That's where I did my pre-med prerequisite courses. And that's where my brother and sister-in-law went to undergraduate medical school uh, and medical school. So I love Creighton. Um, how, how was your physical or your PT experience there at Creighton University? You know, Creighton was my top choice. It was really hard to leave Bozeman to move there. You know, I grew up around the mountains. I moved to Bozeman where there were more mountains, but, you know, going to Creighton, I couldn't pass it up. Mm -hmm. I had an amazing education, so many wonderful experiences that I would never give up. Um, and I'm so happy that I went to that school. Um, I am glad to be back in Bozeman though, near the mountains. <laughs> so I can't sure. say that. It was yeah, I mean, worth the sacrifice, though. I guess one of the advantages of going to the flatlands of Nebraska is that you don't have the mountains, so you don't have to be distracted about the powder days and going out and hitting <laughs> the slopes, you know, or going to the boiling river hot springs. You know, you can just focus on school and studying. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I tried. I do kind of wish I would have had a little bit more outlet but you know there was other things that I got to do and I'm not a big city person but I got to experience a little bit of the city life and music and great restaurants mm -hmm. and different events that come through Bozeman or not Bozeman Omaha and it was it was a good experience for sure yeah so when I was there the big things were the the zoo the Omaha Zoo is awesome one of the best in oh, the yeah. country the college world series in the summer that was really fun and then 4th of July, they had a huge concert. It was a free concert for the public. I forget the name of the, you know, the park that they had it in, but that was really fun with fireworks and just thousands of people and pretty, pretty cool artists. Um, Who did I see? I saw Sugar Ray, Pat Benatar. And <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, Omaha. Omaha is a good place. Good people. 
good people, good place to educate yourself. So yes, right absolutely. on. Well, this this topic, Faith, originated for me because I was talking to another PT friend, Kendall Gilo, who I hope is going to listen to this podcast, <laughs> and I need to interview him as well. But he asked me, he said, Ben, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor of physical therapy. When should, I mean, what I do with manual therapy and strengthening people, how is that different from what you do as a neuromusculoskeletal medicine doctor who's also doing manual therapies and giving strength exercises to your patients? And I looked at him and I was like, I'm not really sure other than you went to PT school and I went to medical school and I'm not exactly sure how that curriculum is, is different other than I imagine the pharmacology, but this is my opportunity really to, for you to educate me about what you all learn in PT school regarding manual therapies. I'm, I'm intrigued and would love to hear how you guys are trained in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's going to vary a little bit from school to school. Uh, as far as I know, every school has a little bit, at least, um, well, a variety of, you know, manual therapy interventions that they learned. The things that you and I have talked a lot about is kind of more of the manipulation, um, high velocity, the HVLA techniques, I was really lucky. Um, even my first year, we had a manual fellow who was amazing, Evan Hansen, and I'm going to have to forward this to him as well. Um, <laughs> who He was always around. He wanted to teach us. He was helping us. And we got to really learn a lot of different, you know, manual techniques from him and manipulations. I, I wasn't very good at the time. I will say that. Um, but then I also had some really great clinical instructors that, you know, helped me practice those same techniques. And then we'd come back after clinicals and Evan would give us another lecture and we'd practice more and more. And um, the last little bit of PT school, then Evan had finished his fellowship, was still teaching. And he had a fellow that was, you know, studying under him. Um, and I just feel like we were so lucky to have both of them because some of my other friends at different schools, they just might have one lecture where they got to practice a lot of those manipulations. Um, some schools don't even teach a lot of manual therapy. I know there are some people who think that it should be more exercise based versus, you know, manual therapy. There's research to support for and against it. But I think that physical touch aspect, regardless of what type of manual therapy you're using, um, whether it's just soft tissue massage, trigger point, or, you know, uh, PNF even, just that, that touch makes such a big difference for patients, regardless of how you do it. Um, but I feel like any sort of manual intervention really improves the outcomes, at least for my patients. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree that that healing touch from an empathetic medical provider goes a long ways with, with patients. Absolutely. So you talked about faith. You talked about um, massage. You talked about HVLA. You talked about PNF, which I learned about last week 
proprioceptive neurofeedback, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating. Um, you talk about trigger points. What are there other therapies that you learned at Creighton? Yeah, you can do uh, different joint mobilizations, which, you know, that's obviously going to help. It's not going to be a manipulation, but you're still moving that joint, trying to restore a normal movement to the joint, which is helpful. I do think that sometimes you just need that manipulation. I even had that with a patient this week who is kind of a little nervous because I'm a female and he was a big, tall guy and wasn't really sure if you know, little old me could uh, crack his back. So we tried little mobilization and some other exercises to mobilize his spine and we just weren't getting it. And then, you know, I asked him like, do you care if I just try this? And he was, you could tell he was just hesitant, you know, big guy, like this little girl can't, you know, crack my back and, mm-hmm. and immediately his pain was better he was moving better and just kind of shocked. Um, so I feel like it's a technique that I think we should use more. Um, obviously, if you're trained and feel comfortable and the patient feels comfortable, uh, what else do we learn? Um, you, what? Can I, Faith, can I ask you a question there? So when you're talking about running the patient through range of motion techniques, what, what techniques are you thinking about primarily? Um, well, what I was mostly referring to is when you're, um, maybe not the range of motion, but when you're kind of mobilizing a joint within the available range that it has. Okay. So you're essentially taking the patient through the available range of motion of the joint? Yes. And just slowly trying to increase that range of motion? Um, yeah, it kind of depends on if you're trying to stretch the capsule or how much of that joint you're moving, or if you're just kind of oscillating a little bit. I see. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. So do you guys in PT school, do you learn a lot about, do you spend a lot of time studying anatomy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our first semester is very heavy you know lots of anatomy but I feel like we we bring it back with every course you know like Mm -hmm. yes we have our big anatomy course of dissection but then with every pathology we learn for the rest you know didactic curriculum we still review it you know every all the structures that are involved how they work together how they're, what the normal movement should be, and then what the abnormal movement might look like and how we correct that. So I feel like anatomy is really tied into our curriculum all the way throughout. Sure. So you guys actually have dissection. You actually dissect a cadaver. Yes, we did. That's cool. So is it like two or three physical therapists to a, a cadaver or... I believe that I was one of four in my group, Okay, which I felt very lucky that this wasn't the first dissection course that I took, you know, Ben, you and I took dissection together at MSU during our masters. Um, And you just learn more every time you take one an anatomy class, but especially a dissection course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. So what about, like, how much do you guys get into 
the actual biomechanics of the joint. For example, the knee. Like how the femur should biomechanically move on the tibia. And how the fibula should move, you know, in relation to the tibia and the yeah. calcaneus and talus. You know, how much do you guys get into that? I guess the kinesiology of the the joints. Yeah, I mean, we kind of like I said earlier, we start that in the very beginning. And then every time we go back to a joint, we review it. And, you know, the arthrokinematics of a joint are extremely important for movement. And I think as a PT, it's drilled into our minds with so many different joints, but you know, it needs to be. And, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, the movement experts, um, as our, one of my old professors would say. Um, and I, I think it's just part of our whole curriculum, really. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating that you mentioned arthrokinematics. Because I, I myself am reading articles about this and I'm like, how did I not learn about this in medical school or in anatomy class? Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so it's basically, you know, just how the joints move with each other, which, you know, it's going to de change depending on the surfaces, you know, kind of like you were talking about with all your femur and your tibia move together and the different um, concavities and convexities and it all changes. But if you don't really know how those surfaces are supposed to move together, it's going to be really hard to mobilize or manipulate a joint correctly. So you have to have that background in order to, you know, restore that movement. Yeah, absolutely. What I was fascinated by this article that I was reading, it was, it was titled The Arthrokinematic Reflex of the, of the TMJ. The author was talking about how there are nociceptive, so pain receptors, as well as mechanoreceptors within the connective tissue, within the connective tissue of the synovial joint of the, the TMJ. <laughs> and how when the condyle within that synovial joint is not placed correctly and is stretching that capsule of the synovial joint, that stress causes those receptors to fire and send a pain signal to your brain. And so then your jaw starts hurting. Mm -hmm. And until you correct the placement of the condyle within the synovial joint there in, in the TMJ, you are going to continuously have this pain signal going to your brain. And so he talked about a manual therapy to try to reset the, the connective tissue forming the capsule of that synovial joint and thereby stopping or breaking, interrupting that, that arthrokinematic reflex of, in this case, pain. Mm -hmm. I thought it was fascinating. I didn't quite capture, and I don't know if they really explained very well how the manual therapy and the stretching and the replacement of the joint, how that stopped the firing of the, of the pain signal. Um, I might have to, you know, read a little bit slower and in greater detail that section, but 
I mean, generally speaking, I thought that was fascinating because I never thought of these pain receptors and mechanoreceptors within actual the connective tissue or ligaments surrounding a joint ever before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's really all of it's really intriguing, and I I love you know me. I love the science behind everything, really, and pain science is it's evolving so fast so quickly but everything i mean so many different things whether it's stress um you know abnormal movement arthrokinematics if you're having muscle problems or any um you know pathology at all influences your pain in one way or another yeah so faith do you have a go-to manual therapy that you feel very confident very confident in using with any of your patients, I guess. You know, I don't think you can really say that because every patient is so different. And I have some techniques that would work for someone with, you know, a certain, you know, um, either pain in a certain location or pathology. And then for someone very similar, it doesn't work for them. So I think you really have to look at the whole person and go from there. I don't really think you should have a cookie cutter um, approach to anyone, really. So you are an expert in scoliosis. And in fact, I think you're the only physical therapist who specializes in treating patients with scoliosis in the whole state of Montana. For those, and congratulations for that. Thanks. For those patients... How, if you have a specific patient in mind, do you ever use manual therapy with them? And if so, what manual therapy? Kind of depends. I I have a couple patients, you know, they might come in and yeah, I'll use some sort of manipulation on them. I also use different rib mobilizations for, you know, different parts of their rib cage, depending on how tight their rib cage is. Um, then, you know, soft tissue massage on the intercostals. And for me, um, I, ma- manipulations is improve range of motion, reduce pain, reduce muscle tension. All the other things, I'm kind of using it for the same reasons uh, for those patients. You know, I'm trying to get their rib cage to move a little bit better so I can get them into a better position so their exercises are a little bit easier to achieve, maintain, and hopefully they can progress from there. Can you describe those rib expanding techniques that you're using? Yeah. um, So I might kind of just oscillate on the ribs. I might have them, um, like if I'm finding a rib that's not really moving very well, I might just oscillate a little bit, giving them a little input Usually I'm pretty gentle um, with that just because they're usually a little bit tender because they're so tight. Uh, If I'm using soft tissue massage in between the ribs going on those intercostals, usually um, I will go, I will move as they're exhaling, let them inhale, and then I will continue down that intercostal as they exhale. You could do... You know, you can also just do general, you know, range of motion stuff. It really just depends on the patient. 
Mm -hmm. So when you say oscillating, do you mean you're just applying like a rhythmic force yes. towards the sternum? Are you grabbing like one specific rib, like anteriorly, posteriorly, and just kind of, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it, exactly that. Um, that's exactly what I'm doing. But whether or not it's anterior, lateral, or posterior really just depends on where it is mm -hmm. in that concavity. Yeah, I see. Okay. And so are you focusing in on the ribs because this patient has a breathing problem or because they say, hey, you know, this is where my pain is? Or are you observing them and seeing that the rib cage, when they inhale or exhale, is not expanding or contracting as well on one side versus the other? So with scoliosis, your respiratory system is involved and it's very, usually their um, inspiratory volume is impaired, their ability to expand on that side of their rib cage where they're concave is obviously it's collapsed it's tight they're not used to expanding so i'm literally just trying to get in there get any movement any improve any awareness that they might have so when i put them in their most optimal corrected position hopefully we can expand in that area so they can try and keep it and to teach them how to maintain that posture while also expanding in that concavity so you're running them through some expansion contraction movements it sounds like but you're also doing some strengthening exercises yeah it's it's all in one so what i do is i will try to depending on what curve pattern they have i will correct their posture and help them find their most optimal posture and teach them how to keep it so in a lot of the exercises, as they're breathing, they are stretching at the same time, but yeah. it's also strengthening, building endurance, improving their body awareness, and, you know, just their posture in general. Yeah. I've been doing foundation training with Dr. Eric Goodman, who is a physical therapist on YouTube. Mm -hmm. He has just some awesome exercises for strengthening the trunk, the anterior trunk, what we often refer to as our abdominal muscles mm -hmm. or our core and what he calls the posterior chain. So the long muscles of our back mm -hmm. um, with just kind of putting your feet a little bit wider than shoulder width apart, dropping your butt way back and having the weight on the balls of your feet and then expanding your chest bringing your arms in front of you and doing like you're saying deep breathing and holding that forward flex posture hinging at the waist. It's been so good for low back pain. And I, I could imagine, or I would think that for scoliosis, um, similarly, it would be, be very good to strengthen those muscles and help them as you're talking about maintaining their, their posture. Yeah, I, the one thing with scoliosis is you really want to avoid any excessive flexion in their spine. Um, but from what I'm getting from what you're saying, I do have an exercise that I have some people do where they're kind of doing almost like a Superman on their feet reaching towards my stall bars, but their back is flat. 
Right. And if that's kind of what you're talking about, while they're doing breathing, while they're correcting any hip shift and keeping their spine in that most optimal alignment. But the breathing is really what's important. You know, I think the diaphragm and all of your respiratory muscle muscles should be included in your core. You know, if you think about a pop can that has the tab on it and it has all the liquid and the air pressure, you try to squeeze it, you can't, you can't, right? It's too hard. But if you remove the pop tab, pour out all the liquid, let all the pressure out, and then you try to squeeze the can, it collapses. You know, that's essentially what your respiratory system and all of the involved muscles are doing. It's helping to improve your stability. And your diaphragm has attachments. You know, it's that giant pancake muscle and it attaches to different parts um, in your lumbar spine and the lower rib cage, even um, up to your xiphoid process. And women, man, we do not like to use that muscle at all. Society makes us, you know, think it makes us look fatter. So generally we suck in. And then if you have scoliosis on top of that, usually it's even more impaired. And anyone with low back pain should really, you, if you're treating someone with low back pain and you're not even, at least checking their diaphragm and how they're breathing, you're, you're missing something because it, it definitely is nine times out of 10 a contributing factor. And so what would you do to treat someone who has an atrophied diaphragm, let's say? Well, one, I would see if it's if they have any adhesions or kind of you know tension along their lower rib cage and usually if there is you're going to feel it more on one side than the other and so depending on how tight they are I might do some soft tissue massage along that lower rib cage just to help loosen it up like you would any other tight muscle then I'd follow it up you know with just diaphragmatic breathing making sure that they're not anteriorly tilted and arching their back usually I'll try to have their knees bent help put them in an easier position I'll start with them laying down moving up to standing in more difficult positions but with all of my uh, scoliosis specific exercises the diaphragm is involved in everything I have every breath start with the diaphragm because if you don't have that diaphragm expand, expand downwards, you don't have that pressure gradient pulling air into your lungs to further expand. Sure. That's so interesting, you know, how you talk about finding restrictions in the diaphragm and doing soft tissue techniques. In the osteopathic world, we do the same thing. We palpate the diaphragm and we feel for those restrictions or hypertonicity as we would say of the diaphragm and then we do what we call diaphragm doming which is essentially a soft tissue technique where you're going into the barrier and trying to relieve those adhesions and relieve the tension there it's it sounds like the very similar if not the same thing that you're doing we just call it something different so i find it interesting that you know we use a lot of at least in this case pretty much the same technique yeah, absolutely. And I think you and I have found that a lot, actually, that you'll be explaining something that you do, and we have a completely different name for it, which, man, if we could all just come together and have the same terms and do research together, I feel like we'd save so much time on so many 
different areas of research. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I feel like a lot of what we do is there is so much overlap. Um, we talked about joint play, I believe, last time I was in Bozeman, where we're actually taking a joint, for example, taking a metatarsal and stabilizing the, the, the talus and the calcaneus, and then just running that, let's say, the first meta, metatarsal through its range of motion, doing a little flexion, some extension, some traction and compression, lateral and medial side bending, and just trying to free up that joint a little bit. And you said, yeah, well, we do something very similar, if not the same thing in the PT world. Mm-hmm. Do you guys also call that joint play or do you have another term? Yeah, we do. I think it, it just kind of depends on where yeah, yes we do there's a few different terms that you can call it whether you're mobilizing it or just assessing the range of mo- motion but I mean you're looking for what how much play that the joint play that you have mm-hmm. I'm just describing it differently right and so I'm still faith I'm still in my mind I'm trying to like cipher okay well how am I different from a physical therapist as a neuromusculoskeletal physician and I mean, we going through medical school, you know, going through courses of pharmacology, sometimes a patient comes in with pain all over their body and you look through their med list and you're also thinking about side effects of medications, thinking about maybe a statin, you know, causing myalgia and bodily pain. We can order like you were telling me, I wish... Man, I wish sometimes I would have become a neuromusculoskeleton physician so I could order x-rays. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, Montana's not as progressive yet. <laughs> um, in other states, I can order imaging and the x-rays for all my scoliosis patients. Montana, we can't yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was your first podcast, I can't remember your friend's name, where she was talking about where she had looked into maybe going into physical therapy school, but there there are definitely a lot of restrictions more in some states than others of what we can or can't do. But I had no idea that you could go to med school and do what you do. I I went to PT school because I wanted to one, you know, see my patients more, but I also love movement and help people move better. But it would definitely be very nice if you know, I could order my own imaging, I could refer easier and just have that um, increased scope of practice. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I mean, like we're talking about, there is so much overlap. Um, The HVLA we talked about, the soft tissue techniques. Um, You talked about trigger points. What do you guys do for trigger points? I mean, you can do a different type of, you know, massage, trigger point massage for it. There's also dry needling. Um, You know, sometimes you can, people will use instruments assisted soft tissue massage with, you know, like a Graston type tool. Um, Yeah, I mean, those are kind of the big go-tos for me. Um, But kind of going back to your question, what's the difference? I think there's a big difference, but we all need to put our egos aside and, you know, put the patient first, you know, 
I mean, you do more than you do different things than I do and vice versa. I don't see why they can't see us both. You know? So in your mind, Faith. And they're going to you to, you know, have you check out their medications, maybe get an injection of some sort. I'm totally fine if you want to take a look at them and maybe you see something else I didn't see. You know, I think we all just need to work as a team. And it's just, I have no problem working with chiropractors either. You know, we all have our place, but we can all work together and maybe help a patient get better faster. And who cares if, you know, you do half your treatments the same as mine. If they're getting better, that's what matters to me. Right. No, I, and I, agree. I agree as well. In your mind, Faith, what is the difference between you as a physical therapist and what you've gathered about what I do as a neuromusculoskeletal physician, resident physician at this point? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, Ben, you're, you're in a really amazing, in a really amazing profession because you get to help people on so many different levels. And what I really love about what you do is you're going to put your hands on patients. And I can't tell you how many times I have patients come in and just feel like they're not heard, you know, and that no one really cares. And so I think you guys can do so much good by not only helping them with medications, by doing, you know, manual therapy and helping them, you know, maybe get a referral somewhere else or assessing, you know, um, their overall health better. Um, but compared to physical therapy, I can't adjust their meds. I can't, at least in Montana, order imaging. And I might see them more, but as a PT, I get to see them on a more regular basis, help them improve their movement. But I can't do all the other things that you do. You know, our manual therapies may overlap, but I think you have a great opportunity to really help people. I don't know if that's really answering your question. Yeah. And you guys as physical therapists are absolutely very privileged as you're saying, you get to see the patient a little bit more frequently and spend more time with the patient. Um, I also feel, or I believe that you as a physical therapist and the physical therapist generally speaking, are much better at targeting, strengthening exercises for certain muscle groups than we are. I mean, I've, I've been watching YouTube videos from this uh, doctor of physical therapy, Dr. Eric Goodman, to try to learn these exercises to strengthen the core, the posterior chain, you know, and it's been very insightful. And I didn't learn these in medical school. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a very uh, heavy part of our curriculum as well. Um, but it, I mean, you're still, we're all still learning. But, you know, strengthening is definitely our forte, you know, learning how much we can push each muscle while still allowing it to recover without causing, you know, you know, certain people with um, osteoarthritis to flare up or rheumatoid arthritis or other health conditions, you know, we're trying to strengthen them without overloading them too much um, and really targeting certain muscle groups. You know, if we see that one specific group is impaired, you know, and knowing 
with how one joint's moving that this muscle is likely weak and learning how to test for that just to confirm and have more objective measures. And then, so let's say someone's patella is not tracking well um, and they have some chondromalacia and you notice that on your physical exam mm -hmm. and you, in your physical exam, in your mind, it's the um, medial rectus muscle that's pulling the, the patella medially. What would you do as a physical therapist for that specific patient? Would there be any manual therapy that you would do or would you go to strengthening the, the lateral rectus? Well, what I would say in general, if you're having any patellar tracking issues, I would see how the, I want to feel how the patella is moving compared to the other one and check it medial, lateral glide, superior, inferior, diagonal. So yeah, absolutely. I would most likely be doing some sort of manual uh, I would also want to look at their hips to see how strong they are, uh, flexibility, uh, their hamstrings, quads, really their whole hip lower extremity and how it's working because there's probably some reason why, why it started tracking that way. Mm -hmm. uh, what manual therapies would you consider using for that? Um, so kind of going to like the mobilizations, that's what I would look at for their kneecap. Um, and just trying to stretch those tissues in their kneecap. Usually if I find, you know, that one kneecap can't move inferiorly the same, you know, I might be helping them, you know, giving them a stretch, teaching them how to press their patella down and hold it. I'd also give them some quad stretching exercises and teaching them how to eccentrically load that quad. So it learns how to lengthen a little bit better. And did I answer your question? Yeah, 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 it does. It does. Okay, fantastic. What would you do? That's my question. Yeah, I think I would do things absolutely very, very similar. Um, I think I would be comparing both sides, both patellas, as you say, and the side that's tracking well, compare that to the side that's not tracking well, then look at that, that side that's not tracking well more closely, trying to figure out, is it a muscle tension problem? Is this, has this led to severe arthritis? And yeah, well, let's strengthen um, I'm not a big fan of steroid injections. You know, I feel like, you know, it's somewhat putting a Band-Aid on a problem. And I would first go to, I think I would first go to strengthening. If I thought the medial rectus is very tight and overpowering the lateral rectus and it's causing that patella to track immediately, well, I would probably send them to physical therapy to you. I'd say go to my friend Faith in Bozeman and have her teach you how to strengthen your lateral rectus muscle and create stability in that, um, in that patella, patellar to create proper patellar femoral tracking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that would be my approach. Um, would I get some imaging? I probably would get some imaging if this was causing severe pain and really interrupting their quality of life. Yeah.
they would probably come to me already having imaging. So I probably wouldn't actually have to order that. But if it wasn't ordered, I would absolutely order that. Yeah. Well, so and I think the, the cool part, you know, with us being such good friends is, you know, if I'm having someone and I'm just either not making fast enough progress or enough progress or we're just hit a plateau, I could send them to you and maybe you see something different. Maybe you know a different technique to use. And, you know, like I said earlier, not every technique works for every patient, you know, and we all learn different things and pick up different things along the way. That's right. And it, it's so true that people's bodies respond differently to different techniques. Some people's body respond very well to muscle energy techniques. Other people, it causes them a lot of pain and they need more soft tissue or indirect techniques where you're not barreling into the restrictive barrier, you know? Okay. So, so I, I think you're right. I think that there absolutely can be a synergy between physical therapy and osteopathic neuromusculoskeletal medicine. 100%. You guys will see things that we don't see. You will see some muscles that are weak that I probably won't see. Or I might see a restriction, you know, a joint above or a joint below that maybe you didn't see. And so, yeah, four sets of eyes, I think, in this case, and two brains are better than two eyes and one brain. Agreed, 100%. So I agree. Yeah, we need to, we need to communicate what we do and how we complement each other we're not we're not enemies we're not um we are different professions but you know like you said we're we are working for the health of this patient and i think both both professions can can absolutely work together to help a patient become stronger move more um move correctly through space um with more freedom of, of, of motion and less pain. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one thing that Creighton really emphasized and taught well was that it, you know, we should be a, a team based patient centered care. You know, we are a team, but our patient is in the center and we should all work together and all communicate. And, you know, we all just need to keep trying to be better at that, you know, and who cares if you're at one clinic or one hospital and or a private practice, if you are part of the team, we are still a team. That's right. You know, and sometimes it's hard to put your ego aside, but it's something that we all need to learn how to do for the sake and the benefit and the well-being of the patient. Working together, I think, as a physician, I don't need to think of myself as being better than anybody else, maybe because I have a, a few more years of training, but you know, that's, that's not a, a reason to think that I'm going to see all the problems of this patient. You know, I think that's, that's um, very, it's a very short sighted view of health. I agree. I mean, so. and you and I already work together. I love how we can just 
you know, throw ideas back and forth, talk about different situations. What would you do here? What would you do there? And that's how we all get better and help our patients get better. Yeah, absolutely. And who knows, maybe once I graduate from residency and go back to Bozeman, we can start a practice together. PT and neuromusculoskeletal medicine in the same building. Maybe get a little massage in there, a little acupuncture, a yoga studio. You know, it could oh, just be I'm this like integrative <laughs> health center. Everyone wait for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, do you have any closing remarks, Faith, or something that you wanted to mention that you haven't had the opportunity to? Oh, man. Um, I would just say everyone just be open to new ideas, um, regardless of who you're hearing it from. You know, I think every profession has things that we can learn from one another. I love going to my friend Amanda, who is the massage therapist that I go to and we just nerd out the entire time. And I always learn new things from her. And I'll usually I pick up something that then I bring back to the clinic. So I think regardless of, you know, who you're talking to, um, what their profession is, just be open-minded and be willing to learn. Yeah. I think that's, see, that's why, that's why I call you faith, the wise one, because you're just throwing <laughs> down these words of wisdom. I feel like, well, thanks, ben. you know, that's so true. No matter who you are, what you do or your age, Definitely. we can always learn something from every person that we come into contact with. And so I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much again for taking the time out of your Sunday evening to share your, your experience, who you are as a person, your experience as a physical therapist. And yeah, thank you so much. I can't wait to make it to Bozeman again and do some skiing and some hiking. Yes. All the hot springs skiing and hiking that you want. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be back there before too long. So perfect. Thanks again, Faith. And hopefully yeah. we can have you again on the podcast here pretty soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Oh, okay. You have a great evening. You too. This was a great insight into the relationship between PT and osteopathic manual treatments. In future episodes, we will continue delving into this topic so that we can better learn and inform ourselves about each other's profession. So stay tuned.